0: Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series Podcast. Each week we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now here's your host, the CEO of the Youngstown Publishing Company, Jeff Leo Herman. Today on the podcast, I missed a very big opportunity, an opportunity to make a Myron Cope reference. And that's because today we are speaking to Bob Hannon. Bob is the president of the United Way of Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley, and we had a phenomenal conversation. I really invite you to join. We got into a topic which I discussed quite a bit. We have a shared philosophy of do we want the people around us to ask permission or beg for forgiveness, and that leadership style is, is a very distinct leadership style when you appreciate those that want to perhaps just beg forgiveness. So we get into that and a lot more, and really learn about the mission and the important, important work that the United Way of Youngstown and the Moning Valley are doing. So please listen to the podcast. Bob provides great insight around his background, his history, how he got there, and, and the important work that the organization is doing. So thank you for joining us today on the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Podcast. We'll talk soon. He's a pro, no worries, right? Yeah. Here we are, here we are with a pro, the original pro himself, (laughs) Bob Hannon. So Bob, thanks for joining us here on the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Podcast. We're thrilled to have you here. Uh,
1: It's good to be here. I appreciate you asking and, uh, and a good opportunity.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're all dying to know we, you're well known in this market, right? But as a child, what did you want to do when you grew up?
1: You know, I was p- one of five children, four four boys, and you know, we 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 played sports. I mean, that's what we did. We lived it. We woke up. We went to bed. And I knew I was going to be a pro athlete. That's for sure. Uh, I, I wanted to be a broadcaster from as long as I can remember. I think when I was, you know, nine ten years old, I'd call play by play of games, and I would watch the television set and watch the Pirates or the Steelers growing up in in Newcastle. So I always wanted to get into broadcasting from as long as I could remember. So you know, sort of focused that in high school, a lot of public speaking courses, a lot of writing. And then when I went to college, I studied communications. And I thought that's all I would do. I would end my career in broadcasting. And uh, you know, here in this market, I had, I thought, a great 20 year run. Um, had a lot of fun. And fortunately, I've been blessed to keep my hand in it by doing Youngstown State football play by play. So just to touch on that a little bit, my first year at United Way 2008, I began in September. The plan was I would do one more year of Youngstown State play by play and transition out of broadcasting. But a couple of my board members would listen to games and I had the flexibility and freedom to talk about United Way, the work we were doing, and they're like, if you wanna keep doing it and why YSU will keep you, keep going. So I, I stuck with that. So I still have that as, I call it my hobby, I devote a lot of time to during football season so I've been fortunate to keep with that
0: that's well so and we're talking about uh, not to date ourselves but we grew up Mm -hmm. pre-YouTube exactly (laughs) exactly did you have your own sports show or did you just kind of call games so as a kid again I I did an
1: internship in high school um, at the local radio station I got to know the sports director and some people will remember the name Steve Meckling He was the sports director of Channel 21. Well, he hired me in radio in Newcastle. So when I was in my first year of college, at 19 I had my own sports talk show. And I was doing high school football, play-by-play. And you talk about hands-on experience. Every Monday through Friday I did a sports talk show, six to eight, and then Friday and Saturday nights I did play-by-play. So I'm I'm not diminishing a college education. I I think it's important in in specific fields. But the hands-on experience that I got, I think added more value than even some of the book work that I did. So I, I was lucky to be at 19 doing my own talk show.
0: So you were really fortunate to have your own sports talk show at the age of 19 but if you're a child today and you have a passion oh. for communicating in sports you could probably spin up your own sports talk show right now. Right? You could. YouTube, you could and, Twitch.
1: Yep, fi- find a niche, fi- be different, find your own vehicle to get, to get your name on. I think YouTube seems to be the one that's most popular but absolutely on anything any interest whether it's sports whether it's uh whatever it may be you it's changed dramatically and and the opportunities are are really endless
0: how long did it take you to pick up your flow or your momentum was there a hook you used were you like the nickname guy so not really but uh sort of my hook was
1: i started in newcastle pennsylvania and all pittsburgh fans well in baseball i'm a phillies fan So it was. I didn't do it intentionally to agitate. I think some talk show hosts um, take opposing viewpoints just to rile up the audience. Right. I think Colin Cowherd on Fox does that. He really beats up Baker Mayfield, but, and I think some of it's a stick. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. So a lot of my calls were anti my opinion. So I think sometimes, It it, it was a vehicle even back then to to get people to call, to get people to talk, and fortunately both teams were good, both teams were fighting for a pennant back then, so uh, it it just worked out that way. So I I, I felt that I had a lot of knowledge, but I wasn't opposed to taking a stand. I had an opinion. Mm -hmm. I was in the middle of the road. I think we're going to be a talk show host and you, hey Jeff, I agree with you, hey Steve, I agree with you and you agree with everybody, I think it becomes boring and mundane.
0: Right. So, so did you find yourself, though, you're always consistent with, with your opinion oh, yes. to drive the conversation? Yep.
1: I was consistent, but I, I stuck by my opinions. I wouldn't waver uh, away from them. But I, I felt like I was consistent, yes.
0: Well, did that, was there a certain sportscaster you looked up to? So if you had to model, was it Cosell? I so, mean-
1: <laughs> you know, Good question. Uh, so being that I grew up in Newcastle, so I watched Pittsburgh um, uh, news, uh, there were two. Uh, one went on to National, a guy by the name of Dick Stockton. Yeah. Dick Stockton still does play-by-play for Fox Sports. Dick Stockton was the man when I was growing up. He was a sportscaster at KDK in Pittsburgh, and uh, I admired his work. I admired what he did. Uh, he went on to work in Boston, then National. Uh, Dick's got to be close to 80 now and still does play-by-play. Right. And there was another guy uh, by the name of Bill Hillgrove who worked at Channel 4 in Pittsburgh. He is 80 and does the Steelers play-by-play to this day. So I looked at two guys, that I always wanted to work in Pittsburgh. That was my goal, to work in the Pittsburgh market. So there really were two local guys in Pittsburgh that I tried to emulate, and uh, on the national level, I always liked Brent Musburger. I mean, he was the original host right. of you know, the NFL today. You know, he was the man, he, Phyllis George, uh, Jimmy the Greek, yeah. and Irv Cross, <laughs> right, that was the team, so so Musburger would have been somebody on the national level, and I always thought his play-by-play, like like Chris Fowler I think does a good job at ESPN, yeah. but I don't think he's a Brent Musburger.
0: Right. Did you ever reach out to any of those guys when you were younger? So, no, but
1: I, I, I well, yes, I, had, I did reach out to Hillgrove, and we formed a friendship.
0: Nice.
1: And when I was at WYTV, uh, Bill Hillgrove offered me a weekend job in Pittsburgh. And I turned it down mostly because I didn't want to give up doing Youngstown State football play by play. This was like 1997. Uh, so sometimes things change. You know, As a kid, I think all I wanted to do is work in that Pittsburgh market. But I preferred to stay in Youngstown because I thought there were more opportunities for me. Right. And I met Musburger several times. Oh, okay. He was a great guy.
0: And they're open to mentoring,
1: say? Oh, absolutely. You know, when I, I met Brent further on in my career, I think right. it was 2002 at a Ohio State basketball game in Columbus. And, uh, Went up to him, introduced myself. Now, you know, you hear stories about different personalities not being so congenial and open, but Musburger was great.
0: So here's a, maybe this is like a making the sausage question, but if the game is a blowout or it's incredibly slow, Hmm. what do you do to keep the momentum going? So so
1: the hardest games are blowouts either way, especially if it's going against you. I think you just need to have some filler material. You, You need to be a seasoned enough pro to keep it going, keep the flow going. Uh, Try to look at some big picture stuff. Do a good job, whoever your analyst is, to bring them in, to to help them be part of the broadcast. Blowouts are really tough. You know, you lose your audience and if it's against you. And I think you also, when when we're doing Youngstown State football, I think the audience should know we want Youngstown State to win. But we're not so much homers that at times we might have to have constructive criticism. That's hard. I, I never have ever, I hope I haven't, called out a player Individually, they're still college kids. I might say, well, we, our offensive line had a rough day. We just could not run the football. But I'm not going to pick on the left tackle specifically. So those are things that I try to do. With they're not pros. If I was calling the play-by-play for the Browns, I think all bets are off. It's a little bit different story.
0: Right, right. They're highly paid. Right. They can take it. They have to yeah, be. Yeah, and should of be able day. to take it. Right, 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 right. Have has you? So what's interesting has your career in sports broadcasting and your passion, and especially you know seeing competitive situations, mm-hmm. trying to rally people when yep. they're down, has that, How's that helped you with your career at the United Way now?
1: So I think a um, couple things, I think it's a good question. So when I went into United Way, it was during the financial collapse of 08. Mm. Um, things were tough, our goal was two and a half million, I didn't think we could get there. So I thought I need to keep the morale up, I need to let these people at least believe I know what I'm doing because we're not gonna make our goal right and if things go south are they going to think man they hired a sportscaster he's in over his head so I, I think we kept a positive attitude but competitive is a part of it as yeah. a piece of it you know we have goals and expectations there are some United ways now that don't post a public campaign goal we will always do that right okay right. I want did we win did we lose and to me part it's not a hundred percent Did you win or lose based on money? Because you have to do good work. But I think we'll always have a fundraising goal. This year, our goal was to raise two and a half million dollars. I think we'll exceed that. When we put the goal in place, we didn't know what to expect with COVID. So yes, it's helped in competitive. I think it's helped in building teams. You know, having been involved in sports, I think it helps build team and teamwork Mm -hmm. and collaboratively collaboratively keep people together and hopefully keep positive. You know, Jeff in fundraising, you're going to have some bad days. You're going right. to get no. It's important to keep this, the fundraising staff's morale up and to keep them going.
0: Right. Well, you know, speaking of that, how did you actually transition from your career in sports journalism to the United Way? What was that story? So, that's uh, I'll try to shorten it for you because okay. maybe over a hey, drink. It's a podcast. over we a drink a- I'll tell you the whole story, okay? <laughs> yeah, I can get uh, you uh, a beer <laughs> out of my.
1: So, we merge 33 merges with 27 and Fox. 33 essentially closes down we move in up the street Um, I'll be completely candid I like being the boss I like making decisions Mm -hmm. I lost some of that flexibility Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a job but no longer was the sports director I I don't want to say I didn't like the direction they were going but I thought it could be a little bit different right you know and so it it was bothering me Um, it wasn't the same so what was I going to do at that time I was 47 do I leave the market? Do I take another job? I had a wife, three kids. You know, it's challenging. Um, so my boss, Dave Coy, comes to me and says, you and Stan Boney are going to host a rally on 33 for the United Way. And you're going to help them make goal." So it was for four counties, the four-county market. Don Cahigas, the CEO of Youngstown Boney Valley, shares with me he's going to retire. I'm riding home that night and I'm like, well, I wonder what it takes to run a United Way. I know they do good work, I don't know the inner working, so I called Don, invited him to lunch. He says, we'll go to lunch. He thought it was to talk about the rally. Right. So I said, Don, what, what are the skill sets? He goes, you know, I was a banker. My predecessor was a social worker. It really, you have to, can you raise money? Right. And he goes, right. I think a marketing PR background, I wouldn't think your experience would, exclude you from being, you know, there is somebody internally that's probably the favorite. Here's what helped me, that was in January. They didn't interview until August. So I had a l- large window to do research. So I connected with some United Ways, built a good relationship with the United Way CEO in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Gary Draper. He came from a background of marketing. He goes, absolutely, your skill set could potentially uh, do this. Mm-hmm. So I applied for the job. Uh, I was told initially there were three piles, interview, maybe reject. I was on the reject pile because sportscaster, hasn't done nonprofit. All I wanted was an interview. So fortunately, I had some people in town that felt maybe I could do this, made a few phone calls, said, hey, just give them an obligatory interview, see what happens. I think the first interview went really well. Uh, they invited me back for a second. Um, and really, Jeff, what I tried to articulate was I think United Way's done great work. We need to make change. And the way I think we need to make change is we need to be more than just perceived as a fundraiser. We need to be that backbone that can bring people together, collaborate, solve big issues. And uh, there are many United Way's doing this. We wouldn't be a lone wolf. I think the model has to change. And if we don't change, we're going to become irrelevant. If we don't change, we're going to become Xerox making mainframe frame computers, right? right. It, it can't continue like this. right? Because the people that weren't giving to United Way would say to me, Bob, why should I give to you to give to the Y? Why should I give to you to give to Boys and Girls Club when you're going to take a percentage? United Way has always been more than that. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot more work than just fund agencies, but some people thought that's all we did. So. Fortunately the board felt the vision that I put in place uh, needed to happen, could work. Let's give them a chance. They hired me in September of 08. It took a few years to shift the model because, mostly because of the financial collapse. Right. I felt no money, no mission, right? So We needed to, we needed to strengthen campaign. So fortunately from 08 through last year, every campaign has increased. Now this one won't. Repeat last year. Last year was our centennial. This current, so fortunately, by 2012, we started raising enough money, I thought, to shift the model. The board was supportive. We shifted the model, what we call community impact. We still fund agencies, but we've also taken on some of our own initiatives. So that's a long answer to how I got to United Way and where it is now.
0: But but the power of communications, right? The ability to, like you said, set the mission, right, and then execute on the mission. And doing it with consistent communications, did that play a big role?
1: It did and, and, I, and I also thought that we, w- we are going to market, we are going to tell our story, we are going to let everybody know what we're doing. We will not be irrelevant, We are, you know, good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to tell our story. Now, when things don't go so great, maybe we don't send out press releases, right? right. But we're, we're going to be out there and we're going to have a report card on our work that says whether we're succeeding or not. So we, we definitely wanted to ramp up our marketing and our PR I wanted to do a lot more face-to-face. The perception was campaign ran from July to December. We're going to campaign year-round. Right. I'm going to come ask you for a gift. I'm going to update you on our gift. I'm going to come visit, see how you're doing. So when I come once a year for the ask, it's going to be part of a three- or four-time visit that it's just normal that Bob comes to see me or a campaign team comes to see me. So we really put a lot of emphasis the first five years on campaign. Now we put a tremendous amount of emphasis on, yes, we need to raise the money, but let's make sure the donors understand that we're doing good work with the dollars that are being raised.
0: Mm -hmm. You have a lot of different stakeholders to juggle, correct? We do. We have corporate
1: giving. We have individual giving. We have workplace giving. We have foundations and and grants. So there's a lot of, you know, we've we've diversified. Till four years ago, we really didn't seek major grants. Now we receive around a million dollars a year in grant funding. So when we say we raise 3.2 million, we raise an additional million on grants. So we're really bringing over four million dollars back to the community. Then the number we release publicly is the money we raise right here. So we also bring in grant money. So we've we've had to diversify. When I began, about 60% of the dollars we raised were people giving out of their paycheck. Now it's about 42%. Really? Less people working in the valley, more competition, but the bigger challenge is people work differently people work from home how do we get them a pledge form? people don't go to the office they work remotely how do we get them a pledge form? so we had to find different ways to raise money to make sure we were raising enough dollars to make real difference in the community
0: right even with covid there are probably people working at home living here in this market but for a company based in chicago yes right yes and so perhaps they could be funding chicago yeah know? and you know and
1: the neat thing about united way is i still get significant dollars from united ways in florida People that lived here and retired. Okay. So, if you live here, and and you give to our United Way, but designate to Peoria, Illinois, that money goes to Peoria, Illinois. So, you know, if you if you live here and you want your money to go to the United Way in Trumbull County or Columbia or Lawrence or Mercer, so there is that vehicle that we get the money. If you want to, if you per, prefer to give where you live, we'll get that money to that United Way.
0: Okay, okay. So then, you know, given these these wide variety of stakeholders, what leadership style? do you embrace to get your job done? Yeah,
1: so I, I, I say I want to hire really good people and get out of their way. Mm-hmm. Um, the strength of United Way is the staff. So hopefully whenever I'm done at United Way and I want to be there a long time, the, the, if they say anything about United you know, Way, they're going to go ahead and really hire good people. He found good people. So I tell people when I interview them, if you need a list of things to do every day, this is not for you. <laughs> okay? Right, Okay, right. You need to be proactive, you need to figure it out. Like our campaign team, I don't have them come in every day and say, I made six stops today. At the end of the month, I'm going to know if you saw the donors. Right. It's, it's a sales job. Right. I mean, we're selling a mission. Right. So I know. So it's, it's try to hire really good people that work in a team environment, that work well collectively, but not micromanage, but be there when they need me. Mm-hmm. And, and when you know we all have goals and expectations if you're not living up to the goals and expectations we need to have a conversation to find out why right. but but really and I think for some people maybe uh, the style that I have of being two hands off it might not work for them they might want more direction they might want more guidance and uh, you know I work mostly on the campaign side not exclusively so I'm out of the office a lot seeing donors not as much during COVID so I think the style we have and, and also provide them as good as an environment as they can have. Right. Like, like if you want to come if you want to go leave early one day to watch your son or daughter play sports, leave. Right. You know, you want to come a little late one day because you have a dentist appointment, do it. You know, we close the office early on Friday sometimes. We do things as a team together. We've gone and played bocce and have had dinner. So I think we do things collectively, but we have a lot of flexibility. You know, when you work in nonprofit, no one there is going to get rich. So, if right. we can provide flexible hours, a good environment, it helps me keep the current staff that I had. But listen, Jeff, I've made mistakes in hiring. Early on, I was listening to what people told me I needed, rather than going with my gut. Right. And one day, I ran into Greg Smith from Comco Industries, and we're talking about hiring and leadership. And he goes, "What do you know about John Maxwell?" Well, I'm very familiar now. I've read right. all Maxwell's books, by the right. way. Right. He said, Maxwell has a leadership style that it's about people and it's about what you need. Not what. So he goes, have you ever been to a Maxwell conference? I said, no. He goes, would you like to go to a John Maxwell conference in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands? I'm like, I'm in, yep. I'm in, okay, sign me, yeah. sign me up, let's go. So Greg took me in a conference, spent four days, and I came back and I felt it inspired me, it motivated me, it changed how I'm gonna hire people and what I need to run this office. not well. You, people with them, well, you don't have nonprofit experience, so this is who you should hire. Most of the people I've hired don't have hired do not have nonprofit experience. They can communicate. Mm-hmm. I've hired a lot of media people that can work on a tight deadline, right. that are quick on their feet, and chances are they're good in front of people. So I thought the, the Greg and the Maxwell experience was one that really helped turn our United Way and helped me do a better job of hiring the people. And now the next person that comes in, they might have a completely different style than me. They may have a completely different skill set they're looking for.
0: I mean, you just uh, define what an entrepreneurial environment is agility, working on deadlines, ability to communicate. Exactly. I mean, so it's, it's a nonprofit, but really it's a highly entrepreneurial organization.
1: So some people told me, I think that's a great point, would say, well, it's a nonprofit, you can't have goals, you can't be, no, we're going to have goals, right. we're going to have expectations, we're going to meet those goals, and we're going to win. And, and I think sometimes in nonprofits, it's a much slower pace. And you know, you know, you don't pay as much as you would. So, well, if, if money's your driving force, then come here, get experience, and I'll help you get a better job. Right. I've had people on my team that have moved on to better jobs. I've helped them leave our organization because it was better for them. Right. And that, I have no problem with that. But while you're here, we're gonna we're gonna operate like a like a for-profit, a highly energized company. And I right. think I think our office exemplifies that.
0: So this is really good advice for our audience. By publishing goals and setting clear expectations, you don't have to micromanage. It's crystal clear what needs to be done. Right. And however you choose to get there, whatever your path is to get there, I'm here to support you. Get it done. Yeah. Right? I tell them, as long as it's not unethical or immoral, right. Beg
1: for forgiveness, don't ask for permission, hey, hey, hey. right? <laughs> just go get it done, okay, and then and, and figure it out. And if you're in front of a donor and you're asking for a gift and you need to make a tough call, don't go, wait, i got to call the boss. And see, yeah, yeah. Just make the call. Make the just call. Just make the call and then we'll back in. I, I trust you know what you're doing.
0: Do you do you screen when interviewing people with beg for forgiveness, ask, don't ask permission? I, I will throw that out there. in front. I'll, I'll
1: let them know. You're going to have all the freedom and flexibility you want to succeed as long as, again, ethical you know this is an opportunity for you to shine so I I, I the worst thing that could happen Jeff is if I hire somebody in six months or a year they go this isn't what I thought it was right then I didn't do a good job up front prepping you for what this is and what you can expect so right hopefully up front maybe sometimes they get a little scared or a little nervous but or maybe they'll come back I've had people come back you know I don't think so and I thought they were a good fit but it, it just didn't work and better for them it's better for the organization right. to know up front rather than we invest all this time into somebody and it doesn't work out
0: yeah absolutely i mean that that's um what's funny that it's a screening question i use a lot would you rather ask permission or beg for forgiveness right and unfortunately i've even used it on my kids a lot so they never ask permission yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, right but <laughs> people get thrown off by yes. that question but i it's really interesting and i get a lot of middling well, if, I, if it's ethical and I th- yeah. think you're mm-hmm. going to be okay with it, I'll do it and then ask later. But I don't know, sometimes it's just great to see the people. You get their is. reaction up front right.
1: right away. G- 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 see how they respond. Yeah. You know the other thing just quickly on hiring that I found, you know, we have 11 in our office, 9 women, 2 men. For every 10 resumes I get, 9 are women. In, in, in the nonprofit world, unless it's the CEO position, we don't attract a lot of men to come in and work. And, and I get it sort of to a certain degree, you know, the, the pay might not be equal to what it is in for profit, but that's one thing I'd like to see in the Mahoning Valley is that, listen, I'm not complaining about having nine women. They're smart, they're bright, they're articulate, but I don't get men, uh, and the only other men in my office is our AFL-CIO liaison, Billy Keel. Uh, we just don't seem to attract, and we do all the, you know, we do LinkedIn, Indeed. We go to all the places to look for talent. We just don't get, and, but that's not unique to us. Right. That's that's similar to other nonprofits and other United Ways across the country as well.
0: Well, you know, we, we touched on this notion of leadership mistakes, and we all learn from our mistakes, obviously. So I, I'd invite you to share a mistake. But first, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors mm-hmm. uh, for continue sure. the conversation. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank the headlining members of the coalition, including Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Moransky Companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Also included are Farmers Bank Group, Youngstown State University, Eastern Gateway Community College, the DeBartolo Corporation, Cortland Bank, MS Consultants, and 898 Marketing. And we're back and the good news about this podcast is <laughs> we take feedback from everyone. Yes. Steve here, right? Everyone knows who Steve is. Steve's uh, the man behind the scenes making this all happen. He actually wants to know the pros and cons of having that. We share this methodology, beg for forgiveness, don't ask permission. So what do you think the pros and cons are of that approach?
1: Well, I I don't want people to work scared. Right. I don't want people to feel they can't do something, and I'm going to be calling them on the carpet every time they do. So I think if they ask for permission, one, it's going to drive me crazy because it's going to be in my office all the time, and I'm like, yeah. you have to make calls. Right. You have to make decisions. I trust you. Trust. I, you know, I trust. There has to be a trust for me to them, and them feeling that I made a call today. He may not agree with it, but he's going to respect that I had to make a decision. So you know. I, I guess to a certain degree that maybe, you know, some people that would prefer to know everything up front, you know, may avoiding mistakes or you're, you're avoiding maybe a pitfall of, ups, in, in my business, upsetting a donor. Right. Uh, but, but, I'll, but that's okay. I mean, I think if, you know, I, to me, it, I, I think number one thing is trust. And I don't ever want my staff to work scared that they, they can't go do their job because, you know, every move they make is going to be put under a microscope.
0: Right. Well, and, and the culture you've built is one that you've reinforced this simply by the way you, your behavior and the way you support the team, is it's an environment of trust and an environment of, of even to agree to disagree, I'm sure. Yes,
1: times, and right? this, several times we do. And I, I tell them when we're in a staff meeting, we may all have a different opinion. But in the end, you know, I'll probably have to listen to all the opinions and make a decision, but we're all on the same team when we leave here. Right. You know, I tell, I tell, I, one day we, we, we struggled with that a little bit. And I said, listen, if Bill Belichick tells Tom Brady we're going to run the ball every play Sunday. Brady may go. You're out of your mind. At the end of the day, Belichick's the coach, right. and then he has to answer to that. My point was, we may not always agree on, on how we're going to proceed strategically, but we have to be unified. I don't want to hear on the street, yeah, you know, this success after six program, you know, it's not going to work. How are you going to get these kids to come? Blah blah. I don't want to hear that on the street because once we agree, then we're all on the same team. So I I, I like good debate in a staff meeting, right? Um, but after when we decide on our game plan moving forward, we
0: need to all agree. Right, agree and commit and move forward. That's good. Well, so speaking of, rounding back to this notion of leadership mistakes, I mean, is there any example you have of say something that was very instructive in your life from a leadership mistake standpoint? Yeah, I
1: I would say um, early on at United Way I probably didn't do a good enough job when I interviewed potential employees on expectations and goals and style, and uh, maybe I took it for granted that they knew. I, I really think. Um, the Maxwell philosophy going help me have a clearer vision on what I needed how to how to work with people and, and like Maxwell's a philosophy not everybody believes it I, I think that's the way organizations could can be run and should be run so I probably early on when I started I turned over some staff quickly right but it was probably me hiring poorly because I didn't do a good enough job of, of, of bringing in people that fit the culture so you know, I was young at hiring. I, you know, in TV there was me and one other person. So that was on me that I needed to maybe um, get experienced and, and get more comfortable in what I needed. You know, I was determined I'm going to hire seasoned fundraising professionals. Right. Well, the last four people I hired had no fundraising experience. What they could do is communicate. Mm-hmm. They were good writers. They could think quickly on their feet. And they mostly had a passion for United Way and then and, and they weren't just coming in for another job and their next job will be climbing the ladder. I think they have to have a passion and believe in the work we're doing.
0: What, what's your favorite thing about United Way that you've, uh, you've you know earned, grown to love over, over time?
1: Is the, is, the, is the work, you know, raise it like I tell donors is raising the dollars is, is critical. Right. But when I can share stories we've done with our wraparound and our after school, and our pre-K program, and I see a child that maybe was in kindergarten when we started with them in after school, and now they're soaring and succeeding in fourth or fifth grade, uh, the work that we do uh, makes a huge difference. Saturday Day of Caring, we began during COVID. We're taking food to people that shouldn't or couldn't be out in partnership with the Moranskis. I have a woman who calls me who's a senior, wants to write me a check for her food. These people aren't all on poverty. She just can't be out, she's ill. But then she'll call, don't forget, I need 1% milk. Don't bring me 2% milk, okay? All right, we got you. Uh Uh So when I see the work that we do sort of transform a child or make a difference on, on a senior, then, you know, there are days when we're frustrated, like are we really making a difference? Mm-hmm. You know, are we really helping Youngstown students do better? And then you look at the report card and sometimes you get demoralized because we haven't moved the needle yet academically with Youngstown City Schools, I mean collectively as, mm-hmm. a, as a community. But then all of a sudden something happens where you see someone succeed because of United Way or have an opportunity to do better, then I think it boosts us all up.
0: So are there things, you know, given your work every single day in the community, mm-hmm. Are there things that you feel like you you wish you had to move the region forward? Like what what's your wish list of things that if only I you know some people say wave the magic wand, give me a billion dollars. I don't think it's probably money. A lot yeah. of it's mindset too. It right? is. I
1: mean. It is. And, and the one thing that 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 that, w- that I, I hope we can figure out at some point is how do we improve the academic performance of Youngstown City children? Mm-hmm. We've had a, re- a traditional superintendent. We've had a CEO and Chris Moep. We've got you know Justin Jennings, but in terms of when most people look at Youngstown City Schools, and there are a lot of wins there, there's a lot of good stories, it's looked at as a failure. How do we get that district to go from an F to a D to a C? It's hard, it's, I don't obviously have all the answers. We want to be part of the solution. So it frustrates us at some point. Like we're doing a lot of good wraparound. We're providing medical, we get kids' glasses, we provide food, but how does all that help eventually move a school district that's perceived to be one of the worst in the state, if not the country, into a successful mode. And I think the only way to do that is more collaboration, working more collectively, And uh, but it's tough. I mean, it's it. Uh, there's an answer. I just right. don't think as a, as a region we figured it out yet.
0: Do you think the emerging career opportunities we have and say, you know, we have many big economic development projects happening with, yep. Lords Motors and GM LG Chem Ultium cell battery plant, thousand workers. You have Eastern Gateway Community mm-hmm. College with great certification programs. Is there? Do you see an impact being made with mentorship programs?
1: Jeff, I think we need to do a better job of, of, of also, and this has been talked about. And I think we're we're ahead of some areas. You don't have to go to college to be successful. Right. You can be a welder. You can be a carpenter. So how do we do? How do we partner better with labor? Mm-hmm. Who does that work? How do we partner better with technical? I know when I was in school, which was guidance counselors, if you weren't going to college, they didn't have time for you.
0: Yeah, it just wasn't.
1: Right, so I think, you know, you want to get kids ready. I think, how, how how do we get them, some kids here in Youngstown, Youngstown State could be a million miles away. Right. Let's visit. Let's go see some, let's show them where Take you a might walk live. Campus, Take a walk sure. around campus. Get more exposed to Youngstown State. So I think, there, I think we're on the verge here of, of a breakthrough with uh, uh, children and, and, and showing them all opportunities, career opportunities. Um, but I'm also a big advocate it has got to start really early. I know a lot of the kids we work with, we start in kindergarten. It's like running a race. Mm-hmm. You get that kid that's coming in Youngstown compared to the kid in Poland. If the child in Poland's at the starting line, but the child in Youngstown's a mile behind, always playing catch-up. So at United Way, we talk more about how do we do more work with four-year-olds and five-year-olds? Do we go to some of the housing developments? Do we open workshops there? Because I think, at least my perspective, a lot of the children we work with coming into kindergarten are already behind. And the teachers in Youngstown, I think, do amazing work, but you're always trying to catch them up. You know, they're always trying to get caught up.
0: So this is a great place to issue a challenge to <laughs> the market, right? Issue a challenge to the region. I mean, you, you're, you know, like you said, you're constantly in fundraising mode, working with stakeholders to drive, you know, this, these programs forward. But is there a challenge you'd like to issue? Yeah, I, I think, I
1: still think we're
0: not, and it, it seems to me, and
1: sometimes people say it's controversial, but we don't work well enough collectively and collaboratively. Hmm. We all have our own turf. A lot of
0: little fiefdoms.
1: Okay, listen, Mahoning County's Mahoning County. Trumbull's Trumbull. Okay, is Columbiana, okay. You know, n- north of the Jibjab in Girard, it's different than it is south of the Jibjab, right? Yeah. And you stay in Mahoning, I'll stay in Trumbull. You, how do we overcome turf wars? Some of it's who gets the credit, whose name's gonna be in the paper, who takes the lead. I get it, working together, real collab, is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard Mm -hmm. but I think the only way is to get real collaboration get real you know um, You know look at other success stories share those success stories bring people together I I would say that we still are nowhere near where we need to be in terms of all of us working together to draw Let's say we took on that challenge of Youngstown City Schools How do all of us as if we're really going to be invested put our egos aside doesn't matter where you're from or where you grew up or what part of the valley you're from. It helps Warren if Youngstown schools are better.
0: Absolutely. It helps
1: Columbiana if Youngstown, it, it, it helps the region. You know, Youngstown is still the city when people are looking to move here or bring jobs in or, you know, that's still, you know, they don't think so much Poland or Canfield or Borderman. Right. They think Youngstown.
0: If you see someone in the airport in Fort Lauderdale, where are you from? Youngstown. Right. Uh, you don't say I'm from Canfield or Poland. No, you don't. Right.
1: You're from Youngstown. Right. So and, and I also think we're, we, we beat ourselves, I think it's, this isn't anything that leaders haven't said, is that this, this is a pretty good place to live. Sometimes we beat ourselves up internally more than maybe we should. Right. There's a lot of value, I think, to living here, cost of living. Uh, I don't have to sit in, in, on a highway an hour and a half every day going to work, right? right. You know. Right. They're, they're, I think it's a good place, Mill Creek Park, we're an hour from Pittsburgh and Cleveland. So I think we need to continue to tell our story about this is a pretty good place. Right. Changing the narrative. That's it. Changing the narrative. How, how, do, how do we, you know, how do we change that story? But, you know, I know at Unite Away when you when you ask about I mean we talk probably daily if not weekly. How are we are we doing enough to help Youngstown City Schools be successful? What more can Unite Away do to be part of the solution?
0: Well, that's kind of why we're here, right? Right. So that's it's, the purpose of the Brain Gain is to really keep our kids, kids here, here yes. and keep them growing and evolving and supporting the great mentorship programs you have at the United Way and in the wraparound work. Um, just outline maybe a couple of the programs just so our audience Sure.
1: Knows. One of the programs that we do is Promising Men right. and what really excites us, it's a group of strong African-American men mm-hmm. that are mentoring 5th and 6th grade boys. And I walked in on a session one day and I was blown away, Yeah. You know, th- I mean it's real. I mean they aren't sitting there eating pizza. Right. They're talking about challenges they have without a dad in their life or challenges they have academically, or challenges they have uh, living with grandma. And, and these adult men are helping them find solutions. So it's a very real, honest conversation. We do a young women's mentorship program where we take strong women in the community and they partner with young girls in fifth and sixth grade. They've talked about everything from, uh, you know, uh, boys to overweight to being bullied and these strong women try to help them in what, and it's, not, it's a weekly, but then they talk to them on the phone. Right. Some of the women will go take them shopping on the weekend, meet the mother or meet the family or do things with them. So we do a lot of mentorship uh, with that. We, we, we try to really um, in our after-school program and uh, homework uh, mentoring. Homework mentoring is something that's big. We have about 400 kids where you might go in four times a year to the same school and work with five boys. You'll sit with a boy, he might have four A's, a B, and an F. Why do you have an F? I don't like the teacher, I like to talk. Mm-hmm. Well, how do I get that F to a C? Then you come back to the next report card and the next. It's amazing. I think it works because you care Just the and they're like, you're really gonna come back. Mr. Herman, you're really coming, you know, okay. Then you come back and they'll go, you didn't let me down, you came back. A lot of the kids have been let down. A lot of the boys have been let down. They don't have strong male role models. So as you keep coming back, they want to succeed for you. And sometimes we provide incentive. Like Ed Moransky came one day and asked a boy, how do I get that D to a C? He goes, can you get me some Wendy gift cards? Because my mom works at night and I like to eat at Wendy's. Well, next thing you know, Ed's bringing 10 Wendy's gift cards, he's bringing them, you know, Wendy's burgers. So. I think those are the things. Get successful people in the community to come into the schools, partner, mentor, tell their story, relate to the kids. Those those are some of the things we do where we've had success. We've seen in report card mentoring, children move the needle and improve their report card because someone showed some attention and kept coming back.
0: Again and again. And patted
1: them on the back and told them, you're worth something. You're doing a good job. And it might be moving a D to a C. Listen, we've had some kids with five Fs. Okay, next thing you know, they got four Ds and a C. That's a win. How, How do we How do we try to keep making progress? Wow,
0: that's that's powerful. Really, just makes you appreciate everything you have, and you know. For everyone here involved listening today, what, what they can do to support this mission.
1: Yeah, well, I appreciate it. I, 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 we, like we said, sometimes we, we tell our story. I think we do a good job marketing and PR, and, mm-hmm. but a lot of people don't know what United Way does. Right. When I began at United Way and I'd ask a group of people, how many of you heard of United Way? Everybody raises their hand. How many of you know what we do? Usually the answer is something good that's got to change. You know what Boys and Girls Club does, right? Right. You know what the Food Bank does. Well now if people want to know what United Way does, we look at families and children that face barriers and we try to eliminate those barriers. There's barriers for kids in Poland and Canfield, just like Youngstown. We're a Valley United Way. Mm -hmm. We help the entire community. So we, we try to eliminate barriers. We try to give them stepping stones to be successful. If that's, right. I, I hope people sort of get that image of what United Way does.
0: No, that, that's that's great. It's I mean, in, in kind of bringing this to a close, given the inspiring work that you do, is there a quote or any kind of leadership you know philosophy? Yeah, you know, is there something you look at? Everybody? So I told
1: you, I'm a I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. Yeah, you know I, I've read all his books, and in in his book. Um, you either win or you learn is a book. It's not, it's, it says lose and it's crossed out learn. There's a quote, I'm not even sure I can attribute it to, but there's a quote in that book, you either win or you learn, that says the most common trait of successful people are those that conquered the temptation to quit. And, and the way I look at it, it's easy to quit. It's easy to give up. How do you hang in there? How do you keep grinding away? I tell our staff, we're making difference.
0: Right.
1: Don't get caught up in the big picture.
0: Right.
1: And also don't get caught up in a quick fix. You know, quick fixes don't work. Right. If you're trying to lose twenty pounds and you think you're gonna do it in two months or two weeks or two days, you're probably how many people go to the gym in the first of the year and quit, right? Keep grinding. Right. Keep every day keep grinding. So, you know, I try to, you know, really, really live by that. You know, don't quit. Hang in there, you know. You, you, you know, whatever you do, you're going to have success. One of the people I look look up to the most in the community is Ed Moransky. I mean, when he took over the Lake Club, it was a mess. Mm-hmm. He grind away. Gr- next thing you know, we wake up and we have a Joel, right? Right. Southwoods. What's Ed Moransky know about hospital? He knows a lot. Right. And he and put good people around him. Right. Next thing you know, he has an Annie Ann's empire. So I, I you know I, I tried to look at Ed as someone who I you know uh, you know could aspire to be as good a leader as him someday but I really like I think you got to be persistent and grind away and don't and don't look at quick fixes quick fixes don't work right uh, in anything and and sort of you know I I, can't, I I know it's in the book I know what page it's on it's on page 80 I believe and you know but I don't know really who who the quote came from um, but it's it's really I think you know it's it's Quitting is easy, hanging in there is is hard, and I think, uh, you know, I'm probably going too long, but I know when I was in radio uh, trying to get into TV, I could wallpaper a room in my house with all the rejection letters. One day I called Channel 33 in Youngstown, I got an interview, I got hired. And, you know, I don't think it's any great quality not to quit, but I was persistent. I knew I could get a break one day, just give me a chance, and I think if you, you believe in yourself and you have some talent or you believe in your work, Stick with it. Don't quit. Hang in right. there, and, and I think you, you know you have an opportunity to have success. Absolutely. This is
0: we learned a lot today, Bob. Really appreciate you've been very generous with your time, and and we encourage everyone here listening today to support the United Way. Yes, yes we need support you. The it's, it's, it's
1: it's it's a it's a challenging campaign, but we're going to get to where we need to get to. And I, I sh- the only thing I would say I assure you that the money's being put to good use, and and you can be confident that we're doing the right things with it, Jeff.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thanks right. for your time today. Yep. Enjoyed it. Okay. Before we go, I'd like to thank members of the Brain Gain Coalition, especially our great sponsors. Without them, none of this would be possible. So a big thank you goes to Sweeney, Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, the Moransky companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Thanks so much for their support. And also, please follow, like, and subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, just go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn, one of my favorite places. You can find me over there at Jeff Leo Herman and send me a message. I will see you next time. I'm growing up in this life and to the human that I need to be, I know that I am not alone. I'm brave. I got what it takes. I-